Hello, and welcome to the final episode of the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey for one last time is my co-host, Jason Masick. All right, then, Jason, have a nice party. Nice? It's going to be better than nice, Bill. It's going to be bloody unforgettable. No, listeners, this is not our last episode. We are just getting to the spirit of the 1986 horror movie, April Fool's Day, starring Deborah Foreman, Amy Steele, and Ken Oland. Directed by Fred Walton, this movie is rated R with a running time of one hour and 29 minutes. So what is this movie about? What's on the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. When Muffy St. John invited her college friends up to her parents' secluded island home for the time of their lives, she forgot to tell them it just might be the last time of their lives. Because as soon as the kids arrive on the island, someone starts trimming the guest list, one murder at a time. And what starts out as a weekend of harmless April Fool's Day pranks turns into a bloody battle for survival. It's just what you'd expect from the producer who brought you... Friday the 13th, parts 2, 3, 4, and 5. April Fool's Day. Get ready to party till you drop. Wow, so that was what's on the box. It's a dramatic reading. (laughs) Oh, Bill Bant, man. You got to have fun with this stuff. You said you had a case of the giggles already. I'm I'm giggling now because... This is uh, this is goofy, man. And thanks for that opening there. You scared me for a little bit. April Fool's Day prank on me, just right from the get. I'm like, wait, we're done. That's it. This is our last. What do you, I thought we had a whole schedule for this year of episodes. Now we got plenty more episodes coming. Oh, not, to worry. not to worry. Not to thank worry. Goodness. All right. So let's move on to our earliest memories of the film. Jason, why don't you start us off? Absolutely. April Fool's Day, 1986, my earliest memory of this film, is the VHS box, and that's it. That is it, because I never saw this movie until today. I knew of this movie because I knew it was amongst the horror camp films of the 80s, of course, and uh, when, uh, gosh, I was just in grade school and people had been seeing these films on VHS, whether it would be, you know, the Friday the 13th franchise, et cetera. You know, I heard of it, but I I knew nothing of this movie, to be honest. Uh, There wasn't much in the popular culture going around like quotes or anything like that. Or did you, you know, do you remember that scene or what happened in that part or whatever? That wasn't going around my grade school. So I knew nothing about the movie. Never saw it until today. It just got past me, man. Uh, So yeah, the VHS box cover was my memory. Always seeing it on the rack at Blockbuster or my local video store, probably in the Linden Plaza uh, in Lindenhurst, Illinois. So yeah, that image of the girl in the pink dress with the knife behind her back and Bill Bant, I'm embarrassed to say this, but I never noticed that her ponytail was tied in a noose. I never picked up on that. Oh, wow. Yeah, I knew that. Yeah. I mean, what was that? But this just proves something is that one of the reasons why I never saw this as a kid is because I'm a scaredy cat. And maybe when I was staring at the VHS box, the reason I didn't notice her ponytail was tied in a noose is that I just kept looking away. Like I wasn't examining the box enough. Like I just, this stuff scared the heck out of me as a kid. 
Uh, so I did not like horror films. I was intrigued by the VHS cover art, but that's as far as I'd go. I don't think I really became acclimated to the horror genre until closer to college. Maybe I might have to give some credit to hanging out with Pat Duty and watching some maybe like Dead Alive, great Peter Jackson film, uh, or something like that, where it was a little so over the top where I wasn't, you know, getting frightened. But I do remember even earlier than that in high school, you know, of course, I mentioned the Friday the 13th franchise. I started watching that a little bit out of the corner of my eye or one eye, you know, an eighth grade party. Uh, some of the nightmare at Elm Street I got in high school. I remember watching Phantasm 2 on cable. And then I was traumatized by Prince of Darkness at some point. And eventually I got around to seeing The Exorcist when I was younger. And I've never been the same since. But I'm just a scaredy cat, Bill Band. I'm going to admit it. I feel good about getting it off my chest right here on this very podcast. So that's it. I had no early memories of this movie. Never saw it. How about you? All right, Jason, we're in the same boat. This is the first time watch for me also. And just like you, I remember going to my local on the corner video store and I would see this box all the time. And I just saw the title. I'm like, oh, it's just another holiday horror ripoff movie. Right. And I just was not in the least bit interested in it. Um, I didn't know anybody that had seen it. Um, no one I really knew talked about it. So I was like, if no one's talking about it, there's no point of me renting this when there's so many other things I can be renting. So yeah, this is, this is a first time watch for me. I actually did watch it twice. I think just the one time just to, just to absorb it, just to see what it's about. And then really just watch it again, just for the podcast itself. But yeah, absolutely. The, yeah, I have no other earlier memory. I just remember that, yeah, the VHS box. It was one of the more clever ones I thought that I saw, but it just wasn't enough for me to pay the 99 cent rental and take it home and watch it. Right. And it's smart marketing. It's a clever thing. I mean, it's a simple play on a holiday, right? Where obviously we know April Fool's Day. That's it's a the you're always going to be pranked or there's going to be a joke on you or someone else that you, you know, you, that's what the day is reserved for. And so you see the VHS box, and you're like, okay, this could be a fun concept for a horror film. Right. So go ahead, man. No, I was just going to say, let's just move on into our initial thoughts, whatever our initial thoughts of watching April Fool's Day for the first time. Absolutely, man. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'll see. <laughs> Man, this movie is supremely awkward, man. <laughs> this is how I feel about it. I, uh, uh, I, I don't know what to say, really. Uh, you know, the payoff at the end is above average. All right, let's just put this in there. There's going to be spoilers. If you have not seen it before, we're definitely spoiling this movie. Let's get that out of the way right from uh, the start. Yeah, there's big time spoilers in this one. Right. There is a big twist at the end and we cannot avoid talking about it and uh, we'll get into it. However, like I said, I felt like the payoff was good. It was above average, but it didn't. This is for me personally, initial thought, me seeing this film for the very first time as a 48 year old. So I only have one perspective at this time and uh, I will try to think about what it would have been like to see this as a child or teenager. But right now I'm just saying that payoff didn't quite make up 
for the dialogue and odd behavior all around. Some of it's forgivable because of the way the movie ends, but some of it is just batshit. So that's kind of my initial thought right off the bat here. I can see how this movie would be supremely fun as a teenage kid, though, watching it, especially like I'd mentioned I'd seen part of Friday the 13th at an eighth grade party. That was fun. That made it a little more comfortable, a little bit easier to watch, but it still scared the hell out of me. And I was sitting next to a girl that I had a crush on and I was kind of trying to be brave, you know, while watching like, oh, no, this isn't that bad. And then Kevin Bacon gets a knife through the throat. And I'm like, this is bad. This is bad. I can't take this. <laughs> but but this particular film, because there isn't a great deal of graphic violence in your face, it's not a slasher film. It's I could see this uh, being a little bit of an easier watch kind of fun. Let's have fun with it. And especially because of the reveal at the end uh, where you're just like, this is a, a party movie, meaning watch it at a party, just uh, in have some laughs and some scares, make fun of it. Uh, the cheese. It's I think a little bit, I don't know if this movie is self-aware or not. I, I really am curious to know your opinion on that. If it's kind of so aware of the genre that that's, you know, pointing, you know, it's really playing up some of the classic 80s horror movie tropes, but, or if it's just kind of unintentionally funny. Those are a couple of thoughts and perspectives. I do love the, you know, the very beginning of the film, before even the title card comes up, starts out almost as a found footage film. You're seeing it through the lens of a video camera. That surprised me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Tom Wilson shows up and like, hey, he's the guy from Back to the Future. This is sweet. I know him. That was Biff from Back to the Future, Thomas Elf Wilson. Anyway, he he's great. So I'm like, oh, this is cool. Uh, we're getting introduced to our protagonists, again, through the lens of a video camera. You know, very common in the 80s. You know, this, you know, one of the kids got a camera. So I'm like, okay, is this going to be part of the story? Great. Uh, so I kind of like that beginning. Here's another initial thought for you, Bill Band. I hate mannequins. I don't know if I've made that clear enough from our previous uh, film, The Hidden. There was one of my favorite scenes where they go through a mannequin like warehouse. Right. I hate them. They give me nightmares. And although I'm a fan of, of the film Mannequin. I was going to say, is Mannequin off the list? We're never going to do that? Absolutely not. And there's a reason for that. And her name is Kim Cattrall. There you go. So, however, if you're just giving me mannequins without Kim Cattrall, I've got a problem. Okay. Uh, and when this film opens and you've got Muffy St. John in her basement getting ready for the party and she keeps groping like she's picking up this mannequin that's all busted up and the arms are falling. She keeps moving it around and putting it in the corner. I, I can't, I can't stand that stuff. There's a really creepy Geico commercial that airs like around Halloween. That's really funny. Actually, it takes place in an attic with mannequins sitting around. I'm like, yeah. Oh yeah. That's super creepy. So I hate mannequins. Hey man, the setup is here for a great movie for a great eighties movie. I talked, mentioned the typical eighties movies tropes, right? We have a party taking place on an island, the ferry back to the mainland isn't going to go, you know, won't take them back to the mainland until the weekend's over. It won't go back till Monday. So, you know, they're going to be stuck on the island for a weekend. You've got this creepy rich girl who's hosting a party with her college friends. You're going to get some sexy time. Uh, we're going to get some clever April Fool's jokes. You know, you're in, in for a treat regarding that. So I'm like, this is a fun setup. Okay. Makes sense. Totally. I'm on board. Let's see what they do with it. 
And then somewhere along the way, I'm going, oh, here we go. I'm thinking, is this a sleepaway camp scenario? Is this the kind of thing where it's so bad, it's good? Right. Like, it's going to be all about the reveal at the end, right? And I'll save it for my conclusion. I'm going to stop there, Bill Bent. You can stop right there? Yeah, go, you, you. Tell me, tell me, what are your initial thoughts? In the beginning of the film, I felt like bits and pieces seemed to be missing in the beginning. I kept feeling, all right, there's something missing with some of the dialogue or something with the character interactions. So it was kind of throwing me off because I was trying to figure out, okay, yeah, this is your typical, someone invites everyone to a setting and something bad's going to happen and everyone's going to start getting picked off. You're, you know, your typical horror tropes. And like you said, too, the setting, that house is amazing. I was like, oh, my God, I love that house. I'd love to stay totally. there for sure. a weekend yeah, kind of thing. So I thought the, the setting was really cool. I thought it was good how, you know, they bring all the characters in really quick and do the, their quick introductions. And you kind of get a feel a little bit of who they are. I thought that was good. I mean, this movie was really like a who's who of people that we have mentioned in previous podcasts. Absolutely. Um, as you already said, you know, Tom Wilson from Back to the Future. Uh, we have Deborah Foreman, who played Muffy, who was in Real Genius. Um, we had uh, Clayton Rohner, who plays Chaz, and he was in Just One of the Guys. Hell yeah. And we also have Deborah Goodrich, who plays Nikki, who was also in Just One of the Guys. She plays Deborah. And just one of the good guys. Yes. And then we had uh, Ken Olin as Rob, who was the, which was good. We actually got to see him awake in this one because in summer school, he slept through the whole movie. So <laughs> right, he's the stripper guy in yeah. summer school. It's awesome. So it was cool too. And then I recognize uh, Amy Steele who played um, Kit. Kit. Yes. So she was from Friday the 13th part two. So you had a lot of these, hey, it's that actor. And I was like, oh, crap, we don't have anybody when we get to, hey, that's that actor. That was, that was one of the other things that was, that was running through my mind. Absolutely. The reveal, when, when you find out what's going on at the end, like then your mind's racing back to try to figure out how all the pieces fit in. And that was kind of strange, too, because I just give it away. We can break it down. I think we're talking about the setup of the movie, and then we can we can just say what the reveal is if you want. Get that out of the way. All right, so we're just going to get out of this way. So suppose that you think there is a killer on the loose on the island, which is supposedly Muffy's deranged twin sister. Right. It's supposed to be your twin sister, Buffy. Right? Is it Muffy and Buffy? Muffy and Buffy. <laughs> so at the very end, you find out this is all a ruse. It's all fake. None of it's real. Everyone that we thought had died reveals themselves at the end. They're fine. And then you're like, wait, what's going on? And it comes to find out that Buffy is going to inherit the house, but she needs a way to generate revenue to keep it. And she, first she's going to make it like a, almost like a bed and breakfast thing. But now she wants to make it into like a dinner murder mystery kind of thing. She wants to hold a host whodunit parties. So she's used her friends as unwilling guinea pigs to find out if this whodunit would really work. But it seems like when everyone's dying, they're then part of the ruse. And then they're helping to fool the next person in right. line. So it was this whole like, right. So who from the beginning knew? Exactly. And how much did they know? Why were they so willing to continue with 
the ruse because <laughs> at the end right. muffy explains it to everybody like no one really knows what's going on but everyone was participating in it so it's kind of one of those who did know who didn't know so you do know her supposedly cousin who's really her brother was in on it correct you know the ferryman and the we'll say dock worker were in right. on it so there were the initial four correct but then after that once everyone got supposedly picked off they somehow played a part in it just to keep the ruse going correct supposedly after because you set it up great bill and i'm just going to reiterate a little bit this starts off as your typical there's a killer on the island picking them off one by one we learn that it's possibly muffy's twin sister buffy who has escaped from a mental hospital escaped or released yeah or released yes and has made her way back to the island and has killed muffy and now has killed everyone else And there could also be, we're led to believe throughout the film that possibly Buck, who is the dock worker, as we're calling him, may be exacting his revenge because he was maimed in the uh, ferry accident at the beginning of the film. We may talk about that a little bit. So we could have potentially two killers picking them off. Regardless, at the end, as Bill explained, we realize it's all one big April Fool's joke on everybody. So yeah, you go back and you're like, well, who is in on it and who wasn't? But then you start going back, replaying it in your mind going, how does this, this would take some real wherewithal and uh, know-how to put it all together. And now I'm, I'm losing my train of thought while I, why I was reiterating the entire thing, going over it all again. The Here's the idea is that once you are quote unquote killed, then you know what the ruse is. You know, it's one big April Fool's joke. So you're supposed to keep quiet and let it play out as all the other people get killed. That's just how it plays out. And then at the very end, we'll talk about, I get a little confused because I think maybe Nat was also supposed to be in on it, who was like the theater girl. See, I don't know if she was. Right. It's that's a little ambiguous. We'll talk about that too. I have that in my notes later. So sorry if I just repeated basically what Bill said, but we're we're gonna try to break down what worked, I think, and what wasn't quite as so uh, successful regarding how it all played out. So then my next thought was say the studio came to me and said, Hey Bill, we're gonna remake April Fool's Day, which they supposedly did a horrible straight to video back in 2008, which really has nothing to do with the film except for name only. And I found this kind of interesting because I was thinking about it and I was like, it really depends on how it would be presented. Cause I think if it was Netflix that came to me and said, Hey, we want you to make April fool's day. I think I would actually keep it the same and right. just update it, work on the character stuff more. That was my question at the end. Mm -hmm. and we can talk about it now if you want to. Okay. Because my question to you, which is often, how do we make a bad movie good? Because this does have the setup and the potential, I think, to be a great horror movie, or at least an extremely fun, very smart horror movie. Yes, I agree with that. This could be a lot smarter than it is presented here, in my humble opinion. And... We understand, you know, because when the April Fool's jokes start playing into the story, I was like, oh, okay, it's not just, she's not just playing pranks, but now because in this movie, 
each individual or couples are paired off. They go to their respective rooms that are in this house, this big house on the island, which is owned by Muffy's father, who is rich and she's rich by association, by family. And so they're all partying at the house for the weekend. They go to their rooms and little jokes are played on them. When Rob and Kit go into their room, they turn out the light to go to bed, but turning off one light turns on another light, turning off that light turns on the ceiling light, turning off that light does this, that. And so that happens. Another scene, Nikki goes to turn on the water and the faucet is leaking and sprays in her face. Ha ha ha. Uh, Another scene is very weird where Hal is looking through his drawers and looks into the closet and sees newspaper clippings about a car accident uh, that had fatalities involved. And that's very creepy. And they're like, And that's when I started going, oh, this is kind of cool. Not only just simple April Fool's jokes or like practical jokes on these kids, but each one might be personally related to that character and may reveal a secret or a a dark secret about their history, their personal, their past uh, that's revelatory somehow. Like, oh, each of these characters has a skeleton in the closet that might be revealed that Muffy Bottom line being that Muffy has the dirt on each one of these characters. Right. It goes from light and funny to dark, just like that. And you're like, whoa, okay. And I was like, oh, now this is getting interesting. And right. is she going to use these this information that she has on each one of them to her advantage? Or so this is what I kind of wrote out is, so she knows their secrets. And when each character goes to their room, and a joke is played on them, but then this darker element is uh, introduced. They see she knows something about them. Uh, for instance, the one that's very dark that we learn is that Nat, she hears the cries of a baby coming from like a drawer. But if she goes into the drawer, she opens it up. There's a tape recorder and it's just a cassette playing the, the sounds of a baby crying. And then we learn that she had gone through an abortion and you're just like, whoa, we're getting really heavy here. Yeah, that's, yeah. It's upsetting. Yeah, that part always bothered me. So the question then is like, if we were to redo this movie, uh, remake it, reboot it, et cetera, we stick with this concept. All of the setup I think is great. So then using those practical jokes, then does it sets each one of these characters really on edge and it upsets them. And does Muffy use this information to kind of pit them against each other because they don't want each other finding out their deep, dark secret? And maybe then, sure, we can still have a big reveal at the end that there's a twin involved or uh, some a reveal where a smart audience member uh, could see coming, right? So we know there's a twist. We know that there's going to be a big April's Fool, uh, April Fool's joke at the end, but then... There's one more twist after that, which funny enough, we'll get into this, I'm sure, in fun facts and trivia, which I'm going to kind of uh, step on a little bit right now. But that was a little bit of the original ending to this film was there's a twist after the twist. Correct. Which I would have liked to see. So just some thoughts for if we were, you know, what I mean, if you had any, I don't know if you had any other thoughts, if you were going to make this bad movie good how you would use what they've set up here and develop it a little bit more and make it a little more interesting. It depends on who came to me to make it. Cause I was like, if it was Netflix, I think I would still keep it basically the same thing where you have all the guests come over and they're playing April fool's jokes on one another. And then everyone starts disappearing and you find out it's, it's a hoax from the get go. 
But I think if I was doing the theatrical version of it, I think I would play up the horror movie and actually play it out like everyone thought it was going to play out. Maybe they're finished college and something happened and Muffy brought all these people in and she's trying to blackmail them. And there is the crazy sister and this person is really killing all of them. But the play, you know, the kind of play up the gore factor a little bit. I think I would have went that way. Mm-hmm. So I think it just depends on what medium I would have been given in order to redo this film. It was kind of strange because I think that's the first time I ever thought of, thought of it that way, where I was like, wow, it really depends on who approached me to do it, which way I would take this movie. Right. Yeah, it could go in a couple different directions for sure. I just would have preferred to have seen a little bit more character development. I think you mentioned that maybe relationship development because it could have made this much more intriguing, involved. You could see this web being weaved uh, or woven, I should say. Is weaved a word? Uh, because we underst- we get shades of these characters, meaning we know that uh, Hal, for instance, is, tr- is supposed to get a job from uh, maybe working for Muffy's father in the business, and, and he's uh, anticipating that. We understand that Rob is trying to get into med- medical school, but uh, had a meeting with a counselor that did not go well, so that's not looking promising for him. Chaz could be this promising video videographer, you know, or movie filmmaker. That's why he's got the video camera videoing things all the time. And then how does, how do those character traits play into the, this puzzle of the who's who and why are they all there? Uh, Why were they invited to this party and, or the deep dark secrets that are revealed through the April fool's jokes reveal a different side of them that plays into what eventually happens but and then at the end again the twist upon the twist i always kind of like that thing where ha 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 this was all one giant joke on everybody but it went too far and one of the characters got pushed over the edge accidentally right and then actually commits a horrific you know act of some kind which i believe is what happens in the original ending yeah something like that which i like a lot but that makes a little more sense to me because it's kind of like oh this was a game but one of these deep dark secrets really hurt somebody bad and they pushed them over the edge and they're gonna exact the revenge i don't know anyway some thoughts i just thought this the movie definitely had potential to do a lot more Mm -hmm. with the character background and the, the the real play on the actual april fool's jokes within the big joke does that make sense? Yes. Okay. All right. So, uh, so let's move on to favorite scenes or moments. Where are some of our favorite scenes and moments from April Fool's Day? What are they? Well, you took my first one. Oh, I did? Yeah. One of my favorite moments was the light bulb scene. Oh, yeah. I thought that, <laughs> I thought, that was fun. Yeah, I thought it was funny. So, so they all get to the mansion and they're all having dinner. And it's funny, too, because they're literally having like Frank and Bean. So you think it's a beautiful house and this beautiful island and everyone thinks they're going to have like steak dinner and potatoes. But no, it's just Franks and Beans. And they're all kind of sitting around. They're just talking, joking, like, you know, what are we going to do with our lives? We're still in that mode where, you know, we're still undecided. That's when you find out that Rob thought he was going to go to medical school and things aren't going to work out. So he's now he's kind of bummed. But then... You know, Muffy makes a toast, you know, the future's still ahead of us. 
and they go to drink and of course the dribble glasses so it gets all of them so it's little moments like that that are happening that's they're getting peppered throughout archie sits on a chair that collapses underneath him yeah um so yeah so everyone decides to retire the night and we go to each room and there's like little playful pranks that Muffy has set up for everyone. And, and you've mentioned them, but my favorite one is, so it's, it's Robin kit and Rob's in a bad mood because now everybody knows that he's not going to medical school and kit feels bad that she said something. Cause she didn't know that this conversation had happened. And, you know, at first you think they're going to have a little sexy time, but he's just not, he's got a headache, I guess he's, he's not in the mood. So they both get into bed and he goes to turn the light off and literally the light on the other side of the room goes off. So he's like, Ugh. and he literally gets up, walks across the room, goes to shut it off. And then the bulb in the ceiling goes on. So, you know, Kit's kind of chuckling about it. He's still kind of, Ugh. now he's got to walk back across the room, hit that switch, hits that switch. And the original light goes back on. So now they're both chuckling about it. And it gets pretty funny. And then he gets back in bed. He literally twists the light out in order to get the light off. So I thought it was a, a, a cute little funny moment. I thought it was a fun little practical joke. And it's like, okay, that makes a lot of sense. A little, a little lighthearted levity before all the uh, shit goes down. So I thought that was cool. I agree. That was that was fun. There was something, there was definitely the 80s aspects uh, that I'll run through real quick that I, I always like about these movies. There's weird layered clothing. I, I love that the 80s layers, this was just a thing, like the shorts on top of shorts, shirts on top of shirts, pants on top of pants. There's one particular sequence where they're playing soccer randomly in the lawn or on the lawn. And I think Archie's got shorts on top of shorts. And I don't know what Chaz is wearing, but it's it's just the weird layering of clothing. We get a lot of great hair in this movie. So that's, oh, yeah. that's a favorite of mine uh rob's got what i like to call the holy shit short shorts uh at some point you know it's like blue gym shorts which are nice you know get to see too much here's another look i always enjoy in the 80s is the when a woman wears a loose tie over a button-down shirt yes kit wears that for like the second half of the film yeah she's rocking that uh always like that look i always fully endorse that but uh so one of the, those are my like how you know it's the eighties moments that uh, are my favorites with her feathered hair. I was oh loving my goodness! That too. Right, completely uh, just brings you back, man. But you know, my first favorite scene actually is right near the opening with Muffy in the basement. You know, she's about to prep the house for her friends to come over, and she has a bit of a flashback because she's dusting some things off. She's messing around with the mannequin, which I don't care for, of course. Uh, and then she goes to a Jack in the box. That's all dusty. And it triggers a flashback for her. And she remembers to her childhood at a, a birthday party where she receives a gift and it's a Jack in the box. And I think it's later that she opens it up. And when the Jack in the box, it, pops open. That's a nice little scare. We know it's coming. I hate that stuff. That's another thing I hate is those stupid Jack and Box things, man. Cause you just, it just, they don't ever, uh, they don't fail to scare. They always do. They, it's just, it's built in. It's what they're meant for. But I, anyway, and in this particular one, we get uh, an alien chest burster basically pops out of the Jack in the Box, <laughs> the flashback. It's like, holy shit. The Jack in the Box burster right i'm like oh my god we're now we're in 
aliens. So there's some nice creepy stuff in there. The music was very melodic and creepy. And then in the midst of Muffy in present day, reminiscing about this childhood birthday when she had opened this Jack in the box and this creepy alien creature pops out of it. Well, there's a brief moment in that flashback where she's sitting get in there. Her family members are gathered around her and we see the happy birthday sign in the background. And it's a cool title card where April fool's day kind of swoops in from the bottom and then comes up. I'm like, Hey, that's a cool title card. I like that. So that was my first favorite scene. Actually, it was the uh, Muffy in the basement childhood birthday memory. That could be the birth of her practical joke streak from that moment was, hey, my parents played a prank on me and now I'm going to return the favor and pull pranks on my friends and hopefully own this this hotel slash house and throw pranks on people will be paying for me to play pranks on them. So it was kind of cool. That was kind of the, the Genesis moment of how this maybe all started for Muffy. That is the purpose of that scene. And I do not get that for whatever reason. So thanks for explaining that. I don't know why I didn't pick up on that. That's pretty obvious. I, it seems so creepy to me in the beginning. I was like, what does this represent? Like what and how, why was this part of the movie? But I guess that is really the inspiration for her, wanting to play jokes because that's the idea in the flashback is that her family had played a joke on her. I don't know. It's just kind of weird. I I still thought it was a creepy fun scene though. Yeah, I agree. Uh, So for my first favorite scene, it was actually the well scene. Okay. So at this point in the movie, we skip is missing. Who's um, Muffy's cousin and Kit and Rob are, we're going to have a little fun time in the boathouse and all of a sudden they see skip floating underneath the boathouse right. and they think he's dead, but they're not hundred percent sure. So of course they can run back to the house and they decide to get everyone to help look for skip. And of course, you know, what's the worst thing that horror movie don't split up, but of course, arch Tom Wilson goes one way and um, Chaz goes another way and they're looking through the woods and um Unfortunately, Arch meets his demise. So now they're back in the house and they're like, oh, we can't find Skip. What happened to Arch? They, it's like, I need to get a glass of water. They go to turn on the faucet and just mud's coming out. So at this point, Muffy's like, oh, something wrong with the water line. The only way we can get water, there's a well, go get some water. So Nikki and Hal, who is Muffy's cousin, decide, all right, we'll go get some water out of the well. That way we have some water. So they get to the well, and the only reason Hal's going with Nikki, because he kind of has a thing for her. But oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, go ahead, man. Uh, this is one of my favorite lines in the entire film. Oh, my God, yes. Right, I was going to bring it up for final thoughts, but we'll bring it up now. So Hal is, is hitting on Nikki, and it pulls the infamous, I would love to plow your field line, which, honestly, that has that line ever worked, ever, ever? She didn't appear to hate it in the movie. It's almost, I don't, I was just like, holy shit, you're just really putting it out there. And that's, yeah, that is super forward. You already know she's there. Oh, it's with just so else. awkward and gross. It is just, it just is so. And that's not the first time he pulled a really awkward line on Nikki. Right. That's true. He said something on the boat about Muffy Muff. And then I was like, oh, God. All right. Yep. Dude, you got problems. No game. No. He's got no game. So they're going to get water out of the well. Hal's about to put the bucket down there. But of course, the rope that's holding the bucket is so rotted 
the bucket snaps right away and falls into the bottom of the well. So he asks Nikki for a flashlight, which she brought him, to give it to him so he can look down the well and see where the bucket is. Well, she drops the flashlight into the well. So now they have no bucket and no flashlight. They look into the well and see that there's basically a rat ladder. You know, there are rungs that are into the side of the well. Right. And Nikki's like, well, go down there and get it. Hal, being the gentleman that he is, is like, hell no, I'm not going down there. So Nikki's like, I need water. So I'm going down myself. So of course he starts climbing down. You know, this is not going to be good. We've already seen that Arch and Skip are gone. Something bad's going to happen. And sure enough, she's about halfway down and the rung is loose into the side of the well and, and breaks free. And she falls into the water and she falls in and... You know, first I'm thinking of uh, the girl from the ring. I'm like, oh my god, she's I, I was there. just about to say that very yes. thing. That's funny. Yeah, I couldn't remember. I can't remember her name though. We got the oh, S. No, yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah, yeah. to get the S or something like that. And I'm like, oh my god, she, she's in. She's in there with the ring. And but right. of course, her falling into the water disturbs the bodies of you have Skip, Skip severed head, and Archie's severed head. <laughs> and then you find out that Nan's in there too. Good old Nan, not yeah. Nat. No. There's no Nan, just Nan. No. Nan and her body comes up, so she's freaking out. So, Hal finally decides to get into the well and starts climbing down. And of course, it's that he's reaching down, and you're like, Oh, he's gonna pull another rung out, and he's gonna fall in there too. And right. he's stretching, and it's the fingertips, and it's the fingertips. And then he finally grabs her and is able to get her out, and it cuts to the next scene. Yeah, for some reason, I just kind of like that scene. After you described it, I, I, I actually liked it more. Uh, I thought it was fine. Yeah, I just it was just funny to me because they as soon as they look into the well, especially when they shine a light down there, I'm like, there's no way you're drinking water out of that well. It's completely disgusting. Oh, yeah, I know. And actually, in the a uh, little bit more of the fun facts and trivia, I believe they wanted to make it disgusting. It's a horror movie. And they were like tossing cigarette butts and stuff in there. It was like, well, you, as soon as you see that water, you're like, OK, this is we, we need option B or yeah. C at this point. But you're right. The scene does create some good tension. I thought they did a nice job with that. Like you said, as soon as Hal's goes down and he's reaching and you just think uh, this is not good, he's going to fall in as well. It's disgusting when she's in that water with the, the bodies. It's, it's, it's gross. Yeah. And it's, um, it's tense. And it's nice that Hal didn't fall in there with her, that they actually, she does grab his hand eventually and it just cuts right to the next scene. And I think what I liked about the scene, too, is because now that you find out it's a ruse at the end and you look back on that scene, it's like, how did you not realize that was fake? But I think because of the circumstances, I was like, if I was in there and I was in a dark well and these body parts are coming up and I'm freaking out because I can't see what's going on and I'm all wet, I wouldn't take the time to look to see like, wait, there's something off. I totally agree. And I thought the exact same thing. I replayed it. My head's like, would I take the time to examine this? severed head that's next to me right because i'm not going to take the bodies out so they're going to stay in there so you're not going to pull them out and go hey wait a second this isn't real and then like what the hell's up i thought it worked for the story that that setup is okay this is a way we know that the characters know that there's a killer but it's not going to give away that this is all fake so i thought that worked all right i'm buying what you're selling okay thanks absolutely i have another moment later on that i i actually really thought was creepy is this is towards the end after the entire remaining cast has uh, gathered in the living room and they all make an agreement not to split up. I think it's less than 60 seconds later that they all split up and Kit and Rob go upstairs. And regardless, uh, they 
end up splitting up themselves. They first go into the attic and then they start searching around and Kit ends up looking for, I believe it's Chaz and Nikki at some point, goes into a different bedroom. And there's one moment where she walks into a room and the bedroom door just slowly closes by itself. And there's nobody there, nobody operating. And it's an easy enough effect to pull off like a practical, scary uh, movie effect. I just love that stuff. I loved it. I thought it was creepy as hell. It's great. And then she reaches to open the door and the doorknob pulls right off. Right. And then you're like, oh. Which was a, a bit of a callback to what it had, like an April Fool's joke earlier in the film when Archie goes to grab the door and the handle comes up. But in this case, now you're thinking, wait a minute. I actually was like, this door literally closed itself. There's a, is there a supernatural entity in this house? Is there a ghost <laughs> now? Is this real? Is this not a joke? That was a cool moment. And such a simple effect. Anytime, for instance, Bill, I, this is one of the, the scares that always gets me. I should have saved this for questions, but now I'm just thinking it. So I'm going to speak it. Is when we have a protagonist in the foreground and your focus is on them and something very subtle and slow happens in the background. It may be uh, even out of focus, but you see movement. Oh yeah, that's whether it's a great. shadow or you know, again, a closing door, a closing window. It could be the killer. It could be like Michael Myers rising from the floor, or something like that, in the background. That always gets me. That's always very creepy because you're focused on like the primary figure figure in the foreground, and then something very subtle happens in the background, just enough to catch your attention, and you know that's wrong. And that reminded me of that type. This isn't, yeah, it's not quite in the background, but still just something kind of subtle where the door didn't slam shut. It just right. slowly closed itself. And it was like, oh, that's very creepy. So I enjoyed that moment. Then I'm going to go to, you know, I actually liked the big reveal is the my next favorite scene. I thought that was fun. I, I should have seen it coming. I thought, I, I, I want to say I saw it coming as soon as, when Muffy was going after Kit with the knife and the knife was looking a little too fake for me. And when Muffy goes to stab Kit, and I still don't know why the hell Kit didn't run out of the way, but Muffy, because there's sliding doors behind Kit and right. tries to stab her at a downward angle, but misses by a mile. Yeah, I, I like, know. It's oh, like Muffy's trying to get her to open that door. And she won't right. do it. She's like, what the hell am I supposed to do? Yeah. And then Kit opens the doors and then everybody's sitting there. It's still definitely one of my favorite scenes because it is cool. It's cool. It's like the entire cast is all sitting there perfectly fine, all cleaned up. It's that is it's a lot. Of, it's fun. Definitely fun. So that was my other favorite scene. Did you have another uh, favorite scene or moment? Moment for me, because it, it did get me at first, was in the beginning when they're on the ferry and um, Skip and Arch are playing that knife game. I don't even know what the hell. I can't remember what it was called. Stretch. Stretch. Yes. They start getting into an argument and Arch is like, I don't want to play anymore. I don't want to play anymore. Take your knife back. And he kind of throws it at him. And you're like, yeah. what the, why the hell are you throwing it at him? And it gets Skip right in the gut. And you're like, oh, my God, what the hell? And Skip falls in the water and everybody's going to dive in to save him. And then you find out it was a prank that Skip and Arch pulled from the get-go. 
and it was uh, like a, a fake knife that was in his chest and just fooled everyone. And yeah, it got me for a split second. I was like, damn it. Because it, it made no sense at first. I'm like, why is he throwing a knife at him like that? I and still then I was like, I holy shit. A, yeah, that's in my complaints, to be honest. Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah, I that doesn't make any sense at all. No, it doesn't make any sense. It's a fun prank, but it makes absolutely no sense in the movie. I, and it, I'll say this much, though, Bill. I agree. I, it got me. I thought it was cool how it was executed uh, because I was like, oh, shit, they're not wasting any time. Right. They're, they just killed somebody right off the bat here. And and that, but then it's one of those, it goes back into feeds into the whole ruse. Is Arch in this then? Because, or did Skip somehow convince Arch to do this? Because that's how it's, everything gets set in motion. Because then you got to get the right guy from the ferry to jump in the water and he's got to get crushed by the ferry. Yeah. That all starts. That kind of confused me in the sense of like, all right. When did Arch know this is all fake? I got issues with it because supposedly nobody knows Skip at all. How did Archie even know Skip from at all? Skip and Nan aren't supposed to know anybody. I mean, right. they specifically say that in the inter- introductions. That's part of the whole, that's part of the dialogue. They actually are all friends except for Skip and Nan. And how? They don't really know him either. So yeah, three of them are kind of outsiders. But then yeah, because that might oh, be and part Hal, of the yes, thing. correct. Even though Hal the... shows up in the same car with Rob, correct. Half of this makes absolutely no no sense to me. But I I'm going to save it. Okay. Do you have another scene or moment? Uh, my final moment is still that damn Jack in the Box man. Because this is what I like the twist after the twist. I always like this trope in horror films too. It's the calm down when you think it's over. When you think. Oh, all the scares, the last scare is over. Credits are going to roll. In this particular case, Muffy has pulled off her test run. And this was a, a dry rehearsal, right? Where it worked, everybody's okay. And it was just one big joke. She goes, retreats up to her bedroom, finishing off some champagne. And she's a little drunk. And lo and behold, there's a gift on her bed, all wrapped perfectly. That was creepy to me. I liked that. I liked it a lot. I was like, oh, I have this down as my favorite scene too. Okay. Uh, Here we go. And she unwraps it. And of course, it's a Jack in the Box. We know it's going to be a Jack in the Box. And this was great. I love the way they played this because she twists the arm on the side and we hear the the noise and and it doesn't pop open. Well, she stops because she doesn't want it to pop open. And then she places it aside and then picks it up again. And of course, as soon as it pops open, someone grabs her from behind and slits her throat. And you see the blood falling down her shirt. You're like, oh my God. And then, oh, ha, ha, ha. It was just a joke. It's Nan with a fake knife and fake blood. And you're like, oh, that was a good, I I liked that. It got, it was a good scare. It was a good jump scare at the end. I liked it. I have a major complaint about it too, but there's actually some stuff in the trivia regarding that as well. Uh, just a minor thing, but I, I'm just like, wait, so Nan isn't on this to wait, what? but it still got me. I, I liked it. I still thought it was a good scare. One of two or two scares. I think I had an entire movie actually. Yeah. I put that down as one of my favorite scenes also, because when we get to the reveal and 
Muffy's telling everybody, you know, what her plan is for the house. And, you know, she's thanking everyone for being a part of this, the trial run to see if this would actually work. You see Nan still sitting there. She's still kind of a little upset. Clearly. Yeah. I wrote that down. And it makes you think is, did when Muffy played the prank about the baby, was that an accidental reveal? Like, you don't know if she really knew that. I have that. that absolutely. Yeah, that's a big question mark. So now that's very upsetting to Nan because now, Extremely. you know, Muffy finds out something about her that she shouldn't know. And now everybody else knows about this. And that's, you know, it's a horrible thing. And so she's not kind of celebrating. So you just kind of see that and you're kind of like, okay, that seems kind of off. And then once the, she goes back to the room and you can see that she's kind of drunk and there's like a noose on the door and she pulls it down. You see the present there. I think it was the first time I, ooh, I, I started getting creeped out then. Right. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. You can really feel the tension and the fact that she, you know, she winds that thing up and right when it's going to hit the last note when it pops, she stops it and she puts it down. You're just like, oh my God, what's she going to do? What's she going to do? What's she going to do? And she picks it up again. And then that you see that it's Nan. That's when I was thinking, oh, all right. Nan was pissed that she pulled the prank. And I thought for a second, she actually did slit her throat. Right. So that got me. So that got me too. I got me definitely more than Skip. So, but it made sense from watching the movie, like, oh, okay, Nan was not happy about what you did and she's getting me back because it does break the fourth wall. She does. She glances into the camera. Yeah. And then the uh, Jack in the Box breaks the fourth yeah. wall too. The by clown winking. is actually winks into the camera. Mm -hmm. But I will, again, step on the trivia a little bit here and say the problem I have too is though, I couldn't tell if it was Nan at first. They went back and reshot the scene after the uh, main production, the, the actual bulk of the shoot. And uh, the actress playing Nan, I forget her name. You mentioned her earlier. Uh, maybe you hadn't. Uh, no, I didn't uh, say her actual name. Uh, Leah, uh, Leah Pinsett. Pinsett. Yes. So they went back and reshot the scene. Her hair is much longer and it's in a ponytail. doesn't even look like her. No, not at first. So it's, it's very, it's off-putting. I was like, who is this woman? Who the hell is this? And then the movie ends. I'm like... Oh, and then I kind of was like, ah, I gotcha. And, but it did also, like you were touching on, it played into what I wanted to happen was that the joke went too far for somebody and they right. exact their revenge on Muffy, which is, again, I think they were trying to do a little bit what the original ending was supposed to be. So yeah, we both enjoyed that last moment, that final, final scene. All right. So that takes us to our Swiss cheese and complaints department. And yeah. why do we call it Swiss cheese? Because although this movie is delicious, it does have holes. There we go. So what are some of our Swiss cheese and complaints for April Fool's Day? Sounds like we're going to have a couple. I might have a few. Where do you want to start? So I enjoyed the whole intro with the video camera footage, because like I said at the start, this felt like it's going to be this weird found footage thing before found footage became a thing in yep. horror films. So that happens, and uh, I'll just jump to it. Then later on, we have Chaz on this video camera taking some footage of Archie, who's mimicking what Nikki was doing earlier in the film, and it's not video footage. So that's a problem. It's actually through the video camera lens shooting Archie in the lawn in front of the house, but it's not yeah. video camera footage. So that POV is not doesn't match the opening of the film you know where it's actual video camera footage that we're watching 
So that's one complaint that I actually just jumped to. But I was mentioned we have that cool footage, but then this whole opening scene with the characters showing up, I had to like rewind it and play it again. It happens fast. Names are getting thrown out. We've got an ensemble cast. And it just felt to me like a bunch of actors meeting each other for the first time doing like an improv session. And it was just really weird. This whole thing was super awkward to me. They all show up at different times and there's like six or I don't know how many there are now. And they're all meeting at the docks, right at the pier where the ferry is about to leave. And they are now getting onto the ferry and we know Chaz is quirky and he's got his spiky hair and he's the one with the video camera and uh, he's very sexualized and making some weird comments. And I don't know why the hell he's pointing his video camera at everybody's crotch. It's just weird. It feels like they're forcing some sexual content on us because it's been like, they're like, well, this is what we do in eighties horror movies. We have to do this. And then Chaz walks by who we call the dock worker named Buck and says to him, guy, your zipper is open and your hostess Twinkie is hanging out. And Buck looks down to see if his zipper is open and Chaz kisses him on the forehead. And I'm like, what is happening right now? It must have been some sort of game because he did it like three times. And then when he actually gets to, I think, Rob, Rob actually does have his zipper down because it's like at first he's like no i'm not falling for that game right I, it was just weird though that he kisses a stranger on the forehead oh, like I, I was just like what was that so that that was just my weird my initial complaints i'm going to get into it a little bit more but a little bit later but yeah uh just a weird intro of the characters because it starts off cool with the video camera and that found footage look the grainy video camera look and then everybody shows up at the dock and I'm like, oh, crap, who's I don't even know who all. OK, who's who and how do they know each other? And I guess some of them went to school, but Nan wasn't in class with them. And Skip is the cousin of the girl that we're going to see. But he seems to have an issue with the money and the family. And that wasn't clear. And we're off. And there's just weird dialogue happening. That was just my initial complaint. I want to piggyback on Chaz and the video cam because it kind of disappears. Like you think it's like a, a character trait of Chaz. Like he's going to be documenting this trip and maybe doing interviews and stuff. And like I said, they, they blow with arch with the, I didn't like that either. It was, I was like, use the video footage. So it mimics what. Nikki well, it's clearly doing. from the POV of the video camera. Yeah. Archie's looking right into the camera. Right. So, so why you, not use the camera footage again? That, you've already that, established that. POV of the video camera footage. But then that's the last time we see the camera. I was like, why doesn't Chaz get killed right. with the camera somehow? Yeah. Him and Nikki are going to get even more kinkier than they were earlier. And we're going to use the camera somehow. And then you maybe see the killer come into the camera and kill them or whatever. And I was like, what, what the fuck happened to the camera? Couldn't agree more. Camera? Couldn't agree more. That's what we were talking about. You at had the a good prop with- and, you, and you blew it. You set it up. The setup is great in this movie. You give these characters some cool traits, some cool devices, and it does. There's no follow through. Yeah, there's a lot of not follow through. Yeah, just another weird quirky thing. They're on this ferry that apparently it, I'm watching the background. It didn't seem to be moving at all. It's like the slowest ferry, and then they look up and oh my god, we're we're here. <laughs> it was like, it's the, did the ferry even move? 
it's just kind of funny. You don't get a real feel that the fairy's moving at all, but that's okay. Anyway, that's really nitpicky. I love that Nikki strips down to her uh, bikini and decides to sunbathe on the ferry. Yeah, for the 20 minute trip. What are you doing? Doesn't look comfortable in the least either. She's like on random boxes. This is all happening on the ferry because now we're getting to the actual knife throwing prank. Archie, according to what we know now, knowing the end and going back and retroactively like piecing it together, you can maybe retcon this a little bit, figure out, you know, a way that this would work. But according to the convoluted introductions that have been made for these characters, we have the bulk group of friends, which are Rob and Kit. We've got Chaz and Nikki. And then the outsiders are Hal, Skip, and Nam. Correct? Correct. So they definitely don't know Skip. But Skip decides to play a game of stretch with Archie. He pulls out his knife, which is a little bit out of the blue. And it's kind of like, what are you doing with a, a switchblade? C-80s. Yeah. <laughs> so they go off to play their games of stretch and he's throwing the knife into the ferry boards floor, whatever. And I'm like, okay, these guys just, and so then they do this great prank, but how did they manage to pull this off at all without anybody seeing it? I, I just, because Skip's got to wear something around his waist and we're assuming that the knife is already, he's got a fake knife stuck in to the, like the squib that's wrapped around his waist. Yeah. Arch would have to be pretty good at magic because it's a sleight of hand where it looks like he throws it, but he never throws it. Right. It clearly looks like he throws it in the movie. Yes. And it's a little bit elaborate for them to pull off without anybody seeing it. There's got to be some sleight of hand stuff. Are these two just professional magicians for them to coordinate this, especially if they didn't know each other before this very scene? We just met recently to set this up. It's still pretty elaborate. Yeah. And it's cool. The reveal is fun, but immediately I'm going, how the hell did you do that? How did you pull that off? So that is a complaint. Anyway. Right. But they have to do it in order for skip to get in the water and everybody else to get in the water so yeah there's a right second step to it which apparently arch doesn't know about but skip and buck and right right because then buck ends up in the water and decides to stay in the water for some reason trying to tie off the ferry to the dock which he of course we know later than that he had done that on purpose so then he gets sort of crushed by the ferry and it basically rips his eye out. Right. Which brings me to my next complaint. All right. Which is you kind of see on the dock that Arch is playing with the rope and he's hitting the, I, don't, I can't, whatever the thing you tie it off to the um, steer, I think it's called. Hmm. And he's hitting it right. every time. So of course, when he's in the water and he's trying to do it, he keeps missing, he keeps missing. You're like, Oh, that's kind of right. He, he, hit, he was hitting it every time earlier. And then the boat goes to crush him. He goes down. And then he pops back up with, with his eye and he's got blood all over him. How the fuck did he get that on? <laughs> it's I mean, right. you, you it's and not... I know behind the scenes, you right. can't, you cannot slap that on your face. You need spearmint gum or some kind of adhesive. You're not underwater putting that on. 
You're not spilling blood. All That's a great point. Even if you're hanging off the side of the boat, kind of, you still can't do it. It would come off because it's all wet. How'd you get so bloody? You're trying to, you can't pour blood on yourself in the water. So how did he pull that off? It's a great call, Bill. It's a great call. I, I totally agree. A thousand percent. There's no way because it's yeah. pretty elaborate. Like it's a, it's a great actual in the moment makeup effect. Like you think he really just got maimed by this right. fairy that ran over his face. Even if it's a one piece. Right. And at the end, he know, does how peel it was, off right. of his face. So it seems like, but it's not that easy to put on. No, no. Not in the, like you said, underwater, or even if he wasn't. You know, Best makeup just, artist. That's, you know, that's 20 minutes in a chair. Yeah. Oh, God, yeah. If it's one piece. And that's kind of rare to have something that big slapped on your face like that. That's always multiple pieces. Yeah. So that, that kind of threw me off. Good call, Bill, because that doesn't seem very practical. So, yeah, I'm just going to go right through this. This is all about the first 20 to 25 minutes of this movie because I... And excuse my my vulgarity here, but I'm like 22 minutes in and I'm like, what the fuck is going on? We've got the April Fool's pranks in the house. The guy, Buck, had basically lost an eye trying to tie off the boat from the water. And I was like, what the hell was he thinking trying to tie it off while he's in the water? Now I understand because of what happened at the end. But Chaz with his porn mag, uh, there's a Cosmo questionnaire in the kitchen that the ladies are doing. There's some weird, there's just like these sexual overtones that just feel a little bit horseshoed in here that are just like, oh, do we we just, they feel unnecessary because it's not really moving the story, but it's just the sign of the times. Yeah, that's that's how we were though. Yeah, Yeah. doesn't, yeah, doesn't feel that, I don't know. Anyway, I just, Muffy already had the crazy eyes from the beginning I had no idea what the hell Skip was talking about with family stuff when he's on the porch. It looked like he was drinking iced tea, but I guess it was a lot stronger than that. And he starts talking about poor son talking to his dad. He's talking to Nan. And it's like, I have no, I have no idea, idea what you're talking about, man. I just, I just dismissed that scene. I had no idea what the hell was going on with that. Then all of our friends are sitting around the dinner table. They have plastic silverware. There's sports. There's dolls that are there to mark the place settings, which is all very strange. And granted, this is what I'm thinking in the moment when I'm watching it. Some of this makes sense after knowing the end of the movie and looking back at it. But in the moment, I'm losing my mind because I'm like, this is all really weird. Then there's dessert. We talk about Nan sits on the whoopee cushion. Archie falls into the chair, which is kind of cool. I like that folding the legs. You know, that fold cool, up. Yeah. Very cool. I hadn't really, I hadn't seen that before. By the way, Skip has disappeared entirely and nobody mentions it. He's not at the dinner table. He's gone. I didn't even notice that. I didn't catch it. I'm looking around going, somebody's missing here. I'm going, and nobody's been killed yet. Where I happen to know that this movie is an hour and a half long and we're getting to about the half an hour point and nobody's died yet. Uh, granted, there was some, a little bit of violence in early, but I'm like, wh- when is it getting to it? And at the end of this whole dinner scene, I love the fact that Muffy says April Fool and not April Fools, which really bothered me for some reason. I thought it was like, wow. I was like, I've thrown my hands up in the air going, this is way too weird for me. This is weird. It's not making any sense. So those, I was just going to, I just ran through a bunch of stuff to get through all the, the dinner party stuff. What's your next complaint? I would just say the, the red herrings. 
because we don't mm-hmm. touch on the car accident thing. We never find out what that's about. Does Thanks, yeah. Archie that's have awesome. a drug problem that we don't know about? And then mm-hmm. we accidentally find out that Nan was pregnant. So she was just throwing stuff out there to see what stuck and and it doesn't go anywhere. It's it's like an, another thing that doesn't go anywhere. The video camera doesn't go anywhere. The whole drug thing doesn't go anywhere. The accidents don't go anywhere. And unfortunately, we find out about Nan having an abortion, which I just, I just, I just felt so bad about that. It's dark and it doesn't feel justified or resolved in any way as a story element. I was confused as to why, why? is it there? Yes. How does it serving the story? So it feels as though, I'll be honest, Bill, a lot, a lot of this feels as though something got really lost when they scrapped the third act and redid the ending. Because there are a lot of actual holes in the story, things where you feel like there had to have been more to this, the development. Mm-hmm. Because they, again, I think the setup is great. You set it up, you knock it down. Nobody knocks it down. There's no, so I couldn't agree with you more. I had a whole list of the things where you mentioned most of them already. Why do we focus on Rob's anger about not getting into medical school? What was that storyline for? How does that play in anything? It doesn't do anything else. No. You talked about the newspaper clippings that Hal finds. What the hell did that have anything? You know, that never came to bear any fruit. Here's a question for you, Bill Bant. If Skip, now here's another reveal at the end when we understand that it was just a big joke and everybody's in on it. If Skip is revealed here to actually be Muffy's brother and he was in on it from the beginning, why did he go through the whole act of wandering around him by himself and going into the boathouse by himself to get killed or attacked in the boathouse? Did I miss something there? Nobody saw that. Right. He's wandering around by himself drunk. But if he's in on the whole thing and nobody sees it, why go through the he, he could just simply disappear and they find his head in the well. You see what I'm saying? Uh, yeah, I totally agree with that, too. It's the same thing where Constable Porter calls the house and we see Constable Porter's at the hospital or we think it looks like the hospital. Like, what's he need to be at the hospital for? He doesn't need to call from there. You can just call from the other side of the island and just say, hey. What's going on over there? I'll be over. Right, right. We don't need to see this hospital and say, oh, yeah, I'm here with Buck and uh, he's doing okay. That made no sense either. It was just that because he was by himself, like he wasn't doing performing for somebody else. We see Skip get killed, but he's alone. Yeah. It but would be why diff- would he even do that if he's in on the whole thing, unless he was performing for, if he was doing it for somebody else's sake? Yeah. If Nan had said, oh, yeah, he walked off to the boathouse after they had the conversation, then it would make sense because it's setting up the next part of the story, but that doesn't happen. They're just like, Oh, Skip's gone. Yeah. And that's what Nan, by the way, also, we do not see like she just disappears and then ends up in the well. Right. Was that suicide or did Buffy kill her? We don't know. Granted you were to really play this out. Like if you were going to play, put yourself in Muffy's shoes and try to pull off a whodunit party like this, that's tough to do. So she did pretty good, but as, and she calls herself out at the end. She's like, some unexpected things happened. Like when Archie went into the forest, I didn't expect the snake to be there, you know, like things like right. that. So it's like, that kind of explains away some of the mistakes that happened throughout, but not all of them. 
Here's another thing. Why, why does Hal have a gun? Yeah, that was kind of... Why did he bring a gun to the party? Yeah, because at one point I was like, ooh, he might accidentally kill somebody. Yeah. For real. I thought that might have been part of the ending. So there are some things that are just really unresolved. Oh, here's a pet peeve of mine. Yeah. When someone in a movie dies and then a person comes back and talks to said dead person, not realizing that person is dead. Oh, <laughs> right. I, that's a pet peeve. I can't stand that. I'm like, come on. And then like, oh, wake up. Come on. I'm like, how do you not notice that person's dead? And then even the wound that Clayton takes. I had, I wrote that. It's not a fatal wound. And if he got stabbed there, the whole house would know he got stabbed there. I actually wrote down, did Chess get stabbed in the dick to death? Is that what happened? Is yeah. that what killed him? Yeah. Because that's all you see. You see a a wound on his crotch and you're like, Oh, see now again, that would have played into if <laughs> character development. I know we're harping on this ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening. Thanks for sticking with us. Uh, is that let's say early in the film, that one of the practical April fool's jokes on him had to do with his over-sexualizing every situation. Right. And then that's how he's killed is somebody cuts his dick off. Horrible, horrific, violent, all that. But then it, like plays into like the killer knew something about him or his deep, like he had a dark secret that he did something. Mm-hmm. He was uh, like sexually abusive or something like that. You know what I mean? It's yeah. something according, you know, in his past that came then to uh, haunt him in the, in the present, the killer. Yeah. It, it just probably because I'm like, that's not a fatal wound. Unless oh yeah. Bleed, no, no, not he, at all. Right. Unless he bleeds out. It was weird. Yeah. Unless he got smothered when that happened. That's the only thing I could think of. And the other little thing, too, that, that I was just getting a little confused with is that we keep seeing the killer approach uh, different people. And we see the shoes, which are clearly a man's shoes. So it makes you think it's like going to be Buck. But then we also know that Muffy or Buffy, the twin sister, is supposed to be the killer. But then I think we're just supposed to understand it could be both of them. Mm-hmm. That there's two killers running around. Yeah, could be possible. It's a little, little convoluted. Yeah, that that's really covers my my main complaints. I don't need to nitpick anything else at this point. So my my last one. Yeah. So the constable calls them and says, "Hey, I better come over in the boat. I'll shoot off a flare. Mm-hmm. Come down. I'll take you guys back to the mainland." And of course, the only ones that see the flare are Kit and Rob. They go down there. No constable. Boat doesn't have keys, and they realize, oh, we got to go back to the house and get the keys. And I love when kids like, I'm not going back to the house. And I, I would have thought the same thing. I'm like, I just would have pushed the boat out in the water. And I just love that. And I would I would have got some paddles from the boathouse and just paddled back. But they decide they're going to go back to the house and get keys. Of course, okay, that, that's fine. So they approach the house. They realize everything's kind of dark. And then you do realize this is a setup in the beginning in the basement. But Rob, right away. Notices right away. I, I was like, how the hell did he see that? That the, that the window was open in the basement. Shouldn't he have checked the rest of the house first? And then like, oh, this is our only way in. It's just like, I know how to get in. It just flashes it at the house. And it's like, there's an open window. Oh, that's way too convenient. Play it up. Play it, it up was, that you can't yeah. get back in the house. It was too easy. There's only, there's one line where they look at the house. They're like, all the doors are closed. And it's kind of cool. Like you realize, oh, Muffy set this up from the beginning. She purposefully opened that basement window knowing that 
these characters would get forced into their room so that they can see the chalkboard, which connects the dots that Muffy has a twin, the twin sister or whatever. Right. Luckily, Kit has seen the picture of the, the twins earlier. So, right. But I mean, it was, it it's was too, fine. It's, you're right. It was it's fine. way too easy. Yeah. Right. It was fine it that that was going to be the next step, but it was too easy to get into that step. I, I agree. Somehow went around the house and tried to get in and like, oh, look, I found this. You can get in through the basement and go up through. I think this takes us to the kitchen. Just do it that way. Don't make it so easy. Just like, I'm just going to shine a light randomly. and like, oh, look, window. Totally. I agree. <laughs> All right. So okay, let's go. move on to, hey, it's that actor. All right. Which we've almost said everyone at this point, but let's see who's left. So in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut, or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. Hey, it's that actor. So there's a good chance we're both going to have the same because there's not very many people left in this film, Jason. So who did you pick? I, I don't know, man. I'm, they're all, I don't, man, there's like little, they've all worked a lot in the eighties and, and after. So I just kind of picked a name out of a hat here okay, or closed my eyes and put my finger down and it landed on Griffin O'Neill, who plays Skip, who plays Skip St. John, the cousin of Muffy, who is actually Muffy's brother. Uh, so Griffin O'Neill did seem somewhat familiar to me. I'm not sure if I recognize him from these films, but yes, in 1986, obviously he was in this film. Uh, and then after that, same year, he was in one of my cult classic favorites, The Wraith from 1986. He plays Agi. And The Wraith is not popular with a lot of people, and I understand why, but I, I still like that movie a lot. For weird reasons, I suppose. I just think the car's cool, maybe. But anyway, uh, and then later on, he's in a film that's called uh, Ghoulies Go to College, which was straight to video in 1990. I just like the title. So I'm going to say Ghoulies Go to College. He was Blaine in that movie. And then uh, in a movie called Soulmates. Yeah, he was, he was uh, Brian. But uh, yeah, so that's, I would just, that's all I got. I like the fact that he was in The Wraith and... In a straight-to-video movie called Ghoulies Go to College. Griffin O'Neill. And he's related to Tatum O'Neill, correct? Oh, I didn't even get that far. Is he really? There you go. I think so. I don't know if they're brother or sister. But yeah, we haven't done a movie with Tatum O'Neill yet. So I have to do that sometime. So we'll have done the O'Neills. And uh, this is a little bit darker thing, which I just realized. It's in the the fun facts. Uh, This is not a fun fact, but it is part of the trivia. At this film's beginning... His character, Skip, is blamed for the prank turned accident that leaves the fer- uh, a ferryman disfigured, that being Buck. And then in this crazy case of life imitating art, as I'm reading, this is what I found on IMDb. Griffin O'Neill was indicted on manslaughter charges for the following year, or the following year, for a drug-induced voting mishap that resulted in the death of Francis Ford Coppola's son, Giancarlo Coppola. Crazy is that, man? That is. The following year, Griffin O'Neill is involved in this, which ended up in that tragic death of Francis Ford Coppola's son. I'm like, what? Yeah. Um, so my hands that actor, I went with Tom Heaton, who played Constable. Oh man, Potter. Good. <laughs> good, good, good thing I didn't choose. I was looking at him, man. I was seriously thinking about it. Good call. And the reason I picked him because his big screen debut was in Guess Who's Coming to Dinner. Yep. Which starred Sidney Poitier, which we did 
Shoot to Kill as our second episode of season two. So I thought it was just cool that we just had that tie in. Other credits for uh, Tom include Slither, Bandolero, Malone, and Intersection. Steady character actor all through the years. He unfortunately passed away, I think, back in 2009, I believe. Got it. All right. Yeah, he had a nice little part in this movie. Yeah. All right, so that takes us to Facts and Trivia. So what are some facts and trivia we have for April Fool's Day? And we're, we kind of keep touching on the one. Absolutely. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. Yeah, due to the film uh, being light on violence, uh, it received frequent airings on late night television where it gained a large cult following. So, yeah, that makes sense. It's funny. I still missed it somehow, but that's probably because I was going to bed early when I was a kid. Yeah, that's what I was saying during Earliest Memories, that I was aware of this movie, and I knew it had a following, that it was somewhat popular, but had no idea what it was all about. I escaped knowing the the twist at the end, but it definitely had a large cult following, and that makes sense, yeah. All right, so we kind of touched on this a little bit, but didn't quite say it. So this movie did have an additional alternate ending that was scripted. I think some of it's shot... If you go on Griffin O'Neill's IMDb page, there's actually a picture from this scene. So what happens is, and I've read two different versions of it. One is, it's basically a third act where the group decides that they want to prank Muffy for pulling this on them. Right. And Skip is going to go back and fake kill her. But there's two different things I've read. One is that he's jealous because... Muffy's getting the house and she's going to run this murder mystery thing and Skip's getting nothing. So he's actually going to try to kill her and Rob stops him and accidentally kills Skip. And then there's supposedly the version where Skip does basically what Nan does was he does the knife slit and it's mm-hmm. just a prank and everyone's like, Hey, we, we got you. Right. But the studio didn't like it because they felt it was kind of down. Hence, then the director went back and filmed the Jack in the Box scene. So, yeah, I think if you find the book version of it, the book explains more of what this uh, third scene is. But I think in the book version it is that Skip goes back to actually try to kill Muffy. Right. So supposedly it was shot, but the footage is, from what I understand, missing. Right. But there is a still of it. And I think some of the stills I heard was actually on some of the VHS boxes, too, which is kind of weird. Huh. There you go. Yeah. Uh, good stuff, man. And uh, speaking of the novelization, uh, which was written by Jeff Rovin, uh, it includes character details and subplots not in the screenplay and final film. A few examples are uh, the reason Rob is late to the ferry in the beginning is because he was fooling around with a married woman at a motel nearby and had to rush, which is why his fly was unzipped on the ferry. Nikki and Hal uh, give in to their love-hate attraction and actually have sex later on. I guess, uh, yeah, I guess Hal does plow the field. Yeah. <laughs> Muffy has recurring nightmares of someone trying to kill her. And of course, uh, the now legendary lost third act and uh, alternate ending. There you go. The novelization. Uh, I'd mentioned a little bit of this earlier. Uh, the interior of the well scene was shot in a tank on an LA soundstage at the end of production. The water was dyed to look murky and crew members discarded their cigarettes right into the tank. Deborah Goodrich, who plays Nikki, 
spent so much time submerged in the nasty water that she left the set with an ear infection. Yeah, I just said the rest of the film was uh, shot in British Columbia, Canada. Right. I mean, that's great when you have so few locations to film something. That's always a big, big help, especially yeah. with budget. So I do like movies that are in closed place like that and are able to pull it off. Hey, sometimes people got to take jobs for money. So uh, Fred Walton, who directed this film, whose big movie up to that point was When a Stranger Calls. If you haven't seen, it's a 70s horror film. And uh, he was working on some other projects. They fell through and uh, the man was running out of money. So that was the reason why he decided to direct this. He needed the money, but he was drawn to the comedy of the script and decided to take it. That's why he did it. Same with Thomas Wilson. He was uh, had the option to either take this movie or Blue Velvet. I was like, whoa, that's you talk about a contrasted in films. Yeah, no kidding. But he was getting married and needed to get some money. And uh, I guess this was the easier payday for him. So he picked this over Blue Velvet. So sometimes when we say actors or directors and money grab, it is, you know, it's not like actors have project after project. Some of them are struggling. Absolutely. Just going gig to gig. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, here's uh, two instances where two of the people had to take the money. Got it. Good stuff, man. Uh, it's funny. You, you mentioned uh, Fred Walton being attracted to the comedy of this, which, you know, this is one of two mid 1980s murder about the house comedies made by Paramount Pictures. The other picture was the board game spoof Clue, which is here earlier in 1985. I haven't seen Clue in forever. No, it's been but a it just time. made me think. I was like, was this supposed to be, I guess there are comedic elements in this movie. I just maybe didn't find it that funny. I get it. I mean, it is supposed to be a little bit on the comedic side. Anyway, did you have any other more uh, facts or trivia items? Yeah, two quick things. So here's a little um, callback to Raiders of the Lost Ark. So supposedly the scene where Arch gets caught on the um, the snare and the snake is there. Yeah. Yep. So I guess they wanted to do a scene with Arch and the snake together in the shot, but then they were afraid that the snake was actually going to bite Thomas Wilson. Right. So they pulled uh, something out of the old uh, Razor Lost Act playbook and put a painted glass nice. between the two of them in order to accomplish that shot. I got to go back and watch it now to see if I can see that. Because in Raiders, because we all you know. You can see it. the reflection of the snake yeah, in, the, see in the glass. It. Yeah. And the fact this is outdoors, I'm like, oh, you'd think that'd be more visible. You would, yeah. I didn't catch it. I didn't, I didn't, catch, I didn't it, catch it either, so I got to go back and watch it. So uh, Ken Olin, who plays Rob, said there was an additional scene that uh, didn't make it in the film, too, was a, the characters around a bonfire um, that was shot like months later in Los Angeles, but it was never used in the film, and hmm. there's no um, footage of it to show this day, but he does remember shooting that. And supposedly cool. there was a proposed sequel too. I think it was supposed to be with Nikki and I did read about that. Right. Yeah. That the two of them. Yeah. Yeah. That they get married and then they're, they're almost going to do the same thing uh, themselves, uh, resurrecting an old porno theater. Right. Things go ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it for facts and trivia. All right. So moving on to box office, April fool's day was released on March 28th, 1986. On an estimated budget of $5 million, it grossed $12.9 million domestically. It debuted number four at the box office behind Police Academy 3, The Money Pit, and Gung Ho. Those exact four films staying in the same four positions the following week 
April Fool's Day would drop out of the top 10 in its fourth week. So made a little bit of money, but not that much. Yeah, yeah. So moving on to reviews, April Fool's Day was not reviewed on At the Movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert, which is no surprise. It does have an IMDb rating of 6.1 and a tomato meter rating of 55%. So that brings us to additional thoughts and questions. What are some additional thoughts and questions we have about the April Fool's Day? Gosh, I think we've answered the question. My big question was just how to make this movie better. And we, we, I think we talked about that at length. Yeah. So that has been answered somewhat. But here's an additional thought. And it's about how to play stretch. So that game that they were playing with the knife or switchblade on the ferry, this game being played between Skip and Archie, uh, Griffin O'Neill, and Thomas F. Wilson. I was like, what is stretch? I had not heard of this game. Bill, did you know how to play this game? No, not at all. So I looked it up. You can find videos on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Anyway, I the particular video I watched was a couple of guys that seemed to be uh, like employees at a Renaissance fair. So they were like in their garb. It was kind of funny. And they were throwing sharp sticks into the ground. But the idea is that... It is a mano e mano game. So you and your opponent stand about two to three feet directly across from each other, facing each other. Okay. And then each person can hold a knife or a sharp pointed stick that is able to be thrown into the ground. And the idea is to make it stick into the ground. If you throw it into the ground, it does not stick, then it doesn't count. Now, the idea is you take your knife or pointy stick and you throw it near your opponent's foot. Obviously, you don't want to throw it at the person's foot, but let's say about a foot away from his foot. So, you know, 12, 24 inches. Anyway, uh, you throw it away from the opponent's foot. That then your opponent has to put their foot next to where the knife lands. Okay. So you stretch your foot out a bit, right? Okay. Then you pick up the knife and now you get to throw it near the your opponent's foot. And that person has to stretch their foot to wherever the knife lands. And you keep going back and forth until the idea is you've got to get your opponent to stretch their foot out further and further until they become unbalanced and they fall over. And if you fall over, the, your opponent falls over, you win. So it's kind of hard to describe. You kind of have to see it. There are a couple rules to the game but the idea is you obviously you have to be good at throwing a sharp stick or a knife into the ground because if it doesn't stick into the ground then you lose your turn and the other person goes so you've got to keep sticking into the ground further and further away so that your opponent has to keep stretching his foot out further and further yeah i'm gonna say open-toed shoes are highly yeah wear your steel-toed work boots yeah but you can look it up on youtube it's an actual game that people play. That seems to be like that backyard, like like when uh, kids didn't have video games. Yeah, I'll stick with lawn darts. That sounds safer. Jarts. Here's a quick question I had, Jason. Have you ever been or performed in a murder mystery show? I have. I have at the Biltmore Hotel down in Miami. They're uh, outside the University of Miami. Wait, so you participated or you? I was an actor in the okay, dinner. The mur- yeah, in the dinner theater. The, okay. the actual, it was a murder mystery dinner theater performance that was part of a class, that uh, theater class that I took. Uh, Brian Sears I, was also in the production. 
and who would become my room, one of my yeah, first roommates out here in LA. Uh, but yeah, we put it on as part of a, a class assignment at the Biltmore Hotel. We did our, it was okay. It was good. Do you remember yeah. what the story was? I don't, I can't recall okay. now. I actually don't think I knew this. So yeah, I figured if I asked, the, I'm like, I bet Jason did do this at some point. It was fun to put on. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. It was, I don't know if we were entirely successful, uh, but there were small tables set in like a circle and we would perform scenes for each table. And I believe the guests that were enjoying their meals had to guess who had done it, you know, who'd done it based on the scenes that we had performed. Was it guests of the Biltmore or was it somehow tied into the school? They were uh, by invite, I believe. It oh, was okay. like my parents came out for it. It was, oh, okay, it was cool. like a final project towards the end of the semester before we broke for summer. So that was fun. That was fun. Cool. Yeah. Those are, yeah. Yeah. I've never, I've never done that. So performed or been in one. So that's curious. You get to over as an actor, as a performer in the actual show, you get to overdo it a bit. You get to be a bit dramatic, which is fun. Yeah. You think about like the, like I'd mentioned the movie clue mm-hmm. who's uh God, I can't think of uh, Tim Curry. Yes. Is in it? You know, like people are a little bit exaggerated in that movie playing yeah. the roles anyway. Yeah. So that's it. I, yeah. Again, already covered my question. So. And this was interesting too, because we've, we've been killing on the writing on this film. The writer was an Oscar nominee for coming up with a story for Beverly Hills cop. Uh, his name was uh, Danilo Bach. Oh, excellent. There you go. See, hey, they're not all gems, Bill. We know this as writers ourselves. Oh, yeah. Again, but I think the concept, yeah, again, the, right. the idea the was sound. Yeah, right. so the story I, was you got to give them some credit for that. Yeah. The story was sound. Yeah. All right. All right, so nothing else for additional thoughts and questions? No, that's it for me. All right, so let's move on to what is our recommendation for April Fool's Day? Do we recommend it? Where, where, where are we at? I recommend it as a party movie only. Or this is the other option. If there were an intro to horror movies for kids course, this would be a good start. I'd mentioned that I myself as a kid was a scaredy cat. If a friend of mine decided to sit me down, maybe an older friend said, this is going to be your introduction to horror films. We're going to, this is a warm up for you. So you don't pee your pants right out of the gate. Watch this. This would be, because this is like, horror light. There are comedic elements to it. I recommend it because I think the reveal is fun at the end. You know, obviously everyone who's listening now knows the reveal, but if somebody has not seen this film and is not uh, really a big fan of scary horror, uh, nail biter, slasher type films of any kind, then this might be an easier watch Otherwise, I was not a huge fan of this, particularly. Again, had I had watched this as a kid and had some nostalgic attachment to it, I may feel different. That may sway my opinion a bit more, but that is not the case. I thought it was just okay. I gave it a C grade. It's no sleepaway camp, but it's okay. Yeah, it's slightly creepy. No real scares, no big scares, at least. Cheesy makeup effects, fake blood, and that's on purpose. It's not hardcore. It's light. It's weird, but it's light. And that's all I got. Okay. Yeah. I was on the fence on this one myself. The one thing I'll give it is the cast. It's one of your better casts for a horror film. Everyone in this film can pretty much act. So that always helps. Sure. And 
like I said, I did watch it twice, but I, yeah, I don't know if I can recommend it. I just, yeah, I just kept screaming. I'm like, I can't believe this. This needs to be remade. This needs to be remade. Someone needs to fix this and remake it the right way. It's close, but it's not quite there. I mean, I get it why they made it because at that point, I mean, the slasher movie had just, you know, done itself to death. So, all right, let's, you know, let's try something a little different. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I can't. I can't. You know what I, I just, yeah, keep going. Sorry. Maybe yeah, I, think just, I, just, I just don't know if I can re- I recommend it. And I think that's okay. And that would be the first time I believe one of us has not recommended a film so far. Is that, would that be true? Is there another film we've done so far? This is number 44, if I'm not mistaken, or 45, 44, or 45. Uh, uh, and uh, I believe we've at least slightly recommended almost. Maybe Running Man? Hmm. Oh, I know. I probably had to have recommended that film myself. I don't know. I think this might be the first. And I think that's perfectly okay. I was I was on the edge. I, I, I wrote down, I came close to not recommending it, but. Yeah, unless you're like a big time horror slasher completist and need to see everything. You could, I mean, it's, it's 90 minutes, so it's not that long. It, it goes by pretty fast. Um, yeah, I didn't feel bored. Right. Me neither. That's true. Like I said, I didn't really feel the tension until the very end. And yeah, there was two scenes that surprised me, but yeah. Yeah. It's okay. Hey man. I just can't. All right. I totally hear you, man. I feel your frustration with it, but that's how I was watching it. I was just like, what is this? And then the reveal made up for it somewhat, but it wasn't enough. It didn't save it for me. Right. Yeah, I just thought there was like some unique things in it. I'm glad I saw it. But if someone asked me, I'm like, eh, yeah, unless you really need to see it for some reason, unless you're, you know, such a huge Deborah Foreman fan or. If it's part of like a double feature uh, for, a, you know, you're at a Halloween party. Right. Or like our friends like to do a uh, double feature of Silent Night, Deadly Night and Die Hard. like at christmas you know something fun like that that's that's there's just a couple of specific scenarios where i could recommend it otherwise not so much yeah i can't say i hated it but i just i just didn't like enough that i you know it would have made me think bill while you were just saying you're right is that there's so much potential and there's smart things in there where i i wish jordan peele would remake this meaning like i i was thinking of get out and how that is a very smart movie that takes certain, it just takes really smart, a smart approach to a, like a house bound horror movie, you know, that things start happening within a house and you know, you think, you know how it's going to play out, but it doesn't, and it's twist upon twist. I don't know. I think he seems to have a grasp on the genre. So if there was a director like that, that could take this material and just really you make it fresh. It doesn't need to get too heavy. I, I wouldn't want to see too much like topical or political takes on it. No, but just get you can be clever with the character development and with the actual jokes, the pla- the practical jokes, the April Fool's joke nature of it. Get real clever with that. Yep, I concur. All right, so I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Next week, we'll be discussing the 1983 drama The Lonely Lady starring Pia Sidora. Ah, I'm just kidding. That's another April Fool's joke. <laughs> oh, hello. Um, no, next week, we'll be discussing the 1987 Vietnam comedy drama Good Morning Vietnam starring Robin Williams, Bruno Kirby, and Forrest Whitaker. 
As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook, Meta, at all80smoviespodcast, or tweet us at podcastall80s. Until then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night. This movie is uh, frustrating. Yes, it is.